This is an ABC podcast. I was very brave today, Norman. I, I got up, I put on my N95 mask and I got on an aeroplane. How was it? It was fine, I guess. Uh, like I didn't want to drink the tea and coffee when they brought it around and I don't know if it's because I didn't want to take my mask off or because the idea of hot coffee in a plane first thing in the morning just kind of turned my stomach a little bit. But look at us. It's just simply amazing. I suppose given the fact that I can't travel here very often, it must mean that we're still in a pandemic. So lucky we've got a, a, a podcast all about the coronavirus. Yeah. Who are you? I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. I think today I'm Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday, 21st of February, 2022. And feeling anxious and on guard made sense pretty early in the pandemic. There was just so much uncertainty and the threat of the virus, this new virus, was pretty unknown. But now we have vaccines and treatments and proven public health interventions But it's been two years. People like Norman keep saying we're not out of this yet, so don't let your guard down. So along with the physical risks, there's also a risk of anxiety and this this impact to our mental health. Yeah, and we're getting lots of questions about it. So we thought we'd have an expert in the area come on to CoronaCast to talk about just the sort of anxiety, psychological distress, depression that can occur with the pandemic the flow-on effects and what we can do about it. And to talk about that, we've got Francis K. Lampkin, who's Professor of Psychology at the University of Newcastle. Welcome, Francis, to CoronaCast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for bringing some attention to this issue. It's really important. Has anxiety in general increased due to the pandemic? It absolutely has. Uh, Both anxiety and depression has significantly increased as a function of us all going through this pandemic together. And we've got some uh, recent global statistics that uh, appeared in the Lancet Journal just recently to suggest that there's about a 28% increase in new cases of depression and uh, a 25% increase in new cases of anxiety just related to all the stress and worry and the issues that we've had to endure by by being um, part of this global pandemic. So yes, there has been a big impact. So just to what extent is this what psychologists would call psychological distress, this sort of compounding of depression and anxiety? It's a really good question, Norman, and I think a really critical one for our recovery as we emerge from um, this, I guess, fight or flight phase of the pandemic. And certainly if you had a depression or an anxiety disorder coming into uh, 2020, then that was really going to put you at higher risk for having a bit more of a difficult time through uh, the pandemic and coming out. But for those new new cases, really it's now up to, to all of us and to engage with our mental health services and our health professionals to help us work through to what extent we're experiencing what we would consider maybe a normal reaction to the uh, normal distress in response to this big thing that's happened to us or whether it is something a little more um, problematic and enduring that we might need some extra help around. So in a practical sense, give us the spectrum that people might listening might recognise here from mild to severe or however you want to define it? We've all probably felt quite powerless in the face of what's happened with us, um, to us over the pandemic and all the public health measures that we've been asked um, to adhere to and have needed to for our long-term health and wellbeing. Uh, We'll be experiencing really low motivation, feeling very tired and burned out, quite sad at all the losses that we've endured and some of us have had more than others over this period of time. Those feelings of of worry and a loss of control and a worry about the future will be uh, really 
highly prevalent and that'll affect our ability to concentrate and pay attention um, and of course really affect our sleep. And so all of those um, fears and worries and symptoms occur on a spectrum. And the things that we become a bit worried about is if that combination of symptoms are affecting people for most of the day, for most days of a week, for at least a month or more and are stopping us being able to do the things that we want to do or that we have to do, that's when it becomes more of an issue that we might need some external help around. Yeah, I mean, we get so many questions from people in the audience writing in, sort of talking about these symptoms that you were just mentioning. And we actually had a really heart-wrenching letter from Charlie who said that their mum is almost 70 years old, triple vaccinated, very healthy, but is just living in this overwhelming sense of fear. This person saying they're worried about how their mum's ever going to recover mentally to feel free to travel to the city, stay in motels, go to yoga, do the things that they would have en- she would have enjoyed doing before the pandemic. Yes, I think uh, it's very, very brave of Charlie to write in and, and share those experiences. And there's certainly ones that, that we're hearing a lot of out amongst all Australians and, and indeed people the world over. And so we've kind of moved from this phase of when will things go back to normal to now really worrying about, you know, why am I so nervous about returning to normal? And I think a big part of that is that part of our, our um, ability to survive the pandemic to date is that we've, we've kind of been trained to fear coronavirus. Um, and that fear is not something that's going to go away overnight because our brains are really wired to, to look for danger and, you know, they had some real prehistoric benefits for us. You know, we had to spot danger, had to see the line and run away in order to survive and those sorts of things. And, and those primitive reflexes and, and responses are still there and that's our kind of fight or flight response. And we've been living in this fight or flight state for a good couple of years now and we really have to um, take a bit of time to help our bodies and our minds learn to become unafraid and also learn again that we don't need to be afraid in the circumstances that we had to be afraid in last year and, and potentially the year before. And so that will actually take some time and it will actually be a little bit uncomfortable for people to go through whilst they get used to being uh, being back out there in the world. And for, for us in, in the mental health field, what we're trying to talk people through is this um, shift or this transition from living in it, living in the coronavirus and living in the worry to living with it. Because of course, all the risk won't go away and that's one of the other issues we need to um, be mindful of. What can someone like Charlie do to support the person that they love to feel like they can get out? Oh, that's a, a great question. And um, and certainly someone like Charlie is probably already talking with his mum about um, her feelings and her worries and her concerns. And that's the very first step is, is talk your feelings and your worries out loud to someone or with your family member or friend that you're worried about. And just understand that everybody will need to go at their own pace in order to emerge and, and restart redoing the things that they weren't doing. But it's also really important to to not avoid things entirely. So avoidance feeds anxiety and worries. And it's really important that through that little bit of exposure, we can build in some safe experiences for people outside the house that can really help them build their confidence about re-emerging into society again. And also a great way to, to flatten your fear, I guess, is uh, it's the new curve if we want to talk about it in those terms. But you can really flatten your fear with facts and so make sure people are getting their information from the right sources and trusted sources and maybe that's something else Charlie can make sure that, that, that he's able to do with his mum. So you're really t- talking here about what psychologists would call in terms of anxiety disorders, exposure therapy. So if you're fearful of spiders, you slowly expose somebody to spiders to realise that it's not as fearful as it was, that you, you slowly get out and about. Just give us a sense of this 
process. And that's the, the really good news, I guess, for us, is that we don't need more research to help us understand what people might need to support them to transition um, back out into the world again and to reduce this psychological distress or anxiety they're feeling. We already know how to do that. So we have this gold standard therapy in anxiety disorders called exposure therapy, where indeed people just make a bit of a list of the things that they're concerned about or worried about and build a bit of a hierarchy of things, starting with the things they're most comfortable with, um, and then build up a, a list of things that, that may, might just increase their discomfort a little bit. And it is indeed, we apply it to things like phobias, like spider phobias or agoraphobia, um, feeling frightened and unable to get out of the house. And really, it's really important to um, almost force ourselves to do a little bit of a step outside our comfort zone, to emerge gradually, to do a few things to um, get us out there again and expose us to the situations that we're a little fearful of and realise and give us that information and evidence that those situations can actually occur, we can do them without something catastrophic happening at the end. And so just by us taking a little bit of time to go at our own pace and to build in one or two or three more new things that we're able to do and expose ourselves to each week, we can all emerge, um, a bit like Charlie's mum, um, and support our, our friends and family to emerge back out into the world again comfortably and safely. So to what extent do you need a therapist to do that? Can you do it for yourself? Well, the wonderful thing about therapy is that um, our goal of therapy is to really teach people to be their own therapists, and that would be wonderful. And what we do in therapy is try to create the safe space for people to, I guess, get any other blockages and challenges out of the way to then learn those skills um, to go out and, and be their own therapist. So actually anybody can go out and do these things right now. And it really can come down to something as simple as just making a list, maybe setting some boundaries or some limits about the events or the things that you are are more or less comfortable with. It might be I'm only I'll go outside and, and walk to the letterbox um, for, for every day for the next week, um, and then I might increase the distance, or then I might go to a shopping centre for uh, you know ten minutes or fifteen minutes um, the week after. So it really is working out for you the things that you are most to least comfortable with, and then setting some I guess parameters or guidelines around doing each of those things so that you can give yourself a, a good chance of doing those things safely. And really, we can do them ourselves. We can get a list together with our families and friends as support people to help us do that. But if we're finding that there's just too much of a blockage um, in the way for us getting to the point where we can do that, then that's when a therapist can help. Now, last Wednesday on Coronacast, we dealt with four possible scenarios moving forward into this pandemic. And one of the hallmarks of pandemics is uncertainty. And uncertainty can be psychologically unhealthy. What's the strategy for dealing with uncertainty moving forward? Mm. It's a really good question. I feel like that probably is the feature of, of an, a lot of what people are feeling right now. And I think if I if I try to think about it, it's that transition between living in it, uh, living inside all the, the uncertainty and the fear and, and living with it, kind of living alongside of it. And so I think some things that we could probably do around that is, is first of all, understand that we can't be certain about everything everything all the time. And that's just as true of, of coronavirus as it is of other things. There are, several, there are many things that we can do to reduce the risk to ourselves. And there are also some things that we can do to create some certainty and to, to exert some control back into our own lives. And that might be irrespective of what um, the government decides to do in, you know, in the next month or so regarding masks or, or those sorts of things. And of course, we need to abide by those public health orders. But that doesn't stop us ourselves from putting 
in place some predictable things that we want to keep doing for ourselves so that we can predict what we're going to be doing next month and the month after that and the month after that. And I think certainly also being a bit kind to ourselves and leaning into self-care a little bit uh, can also really help uh, with this transition period and also giving ourselves um, some time away, if you like, from, um, from immersing ourselves in statistics and information and that vigilance that we've all probably developed in you know, keeping up to date with, with uh, you know, coronavirus information. And so giving ourselves one or two days a week off where we're not going to um, watch the news or not going to be on social media and search up what's happening with coronavirus can also help. You know, and, that, and that's one of the, the great things, I think, about your current schedule with CoronaCast is that you're giving people a, a couple of days off a week just to stop to check out, to collect themselves um, before you, you, you're you um, giving them some information again. So there are all the types of things that we can do just to create our own little bubble of certainty in a very um, uncertain period of time. Francis, thanks so much for joining us. I definitely feel better than I did 10 or 15 minutes ago. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. That was Professor Francis K. Lampkin, a psychologist, mental health researcher at the University of Newcastle. And that's all we've got time for on today's CoronaCast. As always, send your questions and comments to abc.net.au slash coronacast. And we'll see you on Wednesday. See you then.